Heavenly Father, we want to be open to hear from you tonight. We, as we've just sung, that your spirit would fall afresh upon us. So we believe that your spirit will guide us into all truth and will now take those words of Jesus and speak them directly to our hearts that every one of us here will know that we've heard directly from you. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you very much for ministering to me in that. I really mean that. It's always good to that ministry in the body of Christ is reciprocal and uh, that we can receive as well as give. Every time I uh, come and speak at a meeting that I know Don Benedict is going to introduce, I, I'm prepared for the knee story. <laughs> I thought driving here tonight, I expect we'll get the knee. (laughs) Uh, But when he mentioned the testimony about smoking, uh, it reminded me of a a true story that I heard of uh, a man who was similarly delivered of of smoking. And uh, he went to his pastor the following week And he said, Pastor, a really wonderful thing has happened to me. Uh, This was some years ago when cigarettes weren't quite as expensive as they are now. He said, uh, a wonderful thing has happened. I've been completely delivered from smoking and it was costing me so much. I was spending seven pounds a week just on my tobacco addiction. And now God has set me completely free. And his pastor said, that's really wonderful. Now you can give that seven pounds a week to the Lord. (laughs) And the man said, oh no, I couldn't possibly afford to do that. (laughs) I guess there's something like that in all of us, isn't there? (laughs) When our sense of values isn't, isn't what it should be. Uh, Benedict just said, would I share something about the fellowship? I don't uh, speak very much about that because my concern isn't to promote the Bethany Fellowship, but to see the kingdom of God extended. But I'll just tell you a little bit because I think it will help to uh, give an example of what I believe God wants to say to us tonight. The fellowship started just as a small group of people that were supporting me in my traveling ministry when I left my parish. And there were just uh, 11 of us for the first year. And and at first that's all we uh, expected, except that God kept giving us uh, prophetic words about the way we were going to have this ministry and that ministry and the other ministry. And we thought, well, how can 11 of us have all these ministries? And it was quite obviously that God had something in mind that we didn't have in mind at the time. And that was about six years ago, I suppose, uh, seven years ago. And uh, since then, we have seen many of these prophetic words fulfilled. There are still some yet to be fulfilled. But we've seen many of them. Because, you see, I believe if a group of people are really living the life of Jesus, 
They cannot avoid attracting people. And I didn't want to be someone who was traveling around this world, this uh, country and, and other parts of the world talking about a message I wasn't living out. And you can only live out the Christian gospel in relationship and fellowship with others. And you can't love unless you've got people to love. And uh, so I was convinced that it was, it was important for this gospel of love to be lived out just as we were seeking to live that out in Luton. And we found that people began to come. Some came with needs. They came for all kinds of reasons. Leaders, sick people. And it became obvious that we needed more people to, to cope with those who were seeking help and ministry. And so the Lord began, after establishing a, a firm foundation in that first year, the Lord began to add to us. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Something of it is written in my book, Faith for the Future. But what has developed over the last three or four years is that now we have a, a large country house in Sussex called the Hyde where we have groups of clergy, ministers of all denominations who come for what we call leaders' weeks. These are weeks of prayer, seeking God, bringing clergy through to a new place with the Lord, not just to be baptized in the Spirit, uh, even going beyond that, a place where they are released in power in, in all kinds of ways in their ministries. They really meet with God because all of us, you know, can only minister out of the place that we are in with the Lord. Uh, we have living in revival weeks. One started this evening. Those are for not for clergy but for other leaders, for lay leaders within the life of the church. Uh, and uh, we have... As some of you will have been using, any of you using the Kingdom Faith teaching course here? A few of you. Oh, well, that's a, a tape teaching course that we make available. There are thousands of groups in this country and around the world. It's now translated into many different countries, uh, many different languages, uh, giving scriptural teaching to prayer groups. You know, a lot of prayer groups and charismatic groups that meet say, well. We have fellowship and we have praise, but we don't have anyone to teach us. And we don't have anyone who's really a leader amongst us. So this uh, was designed in order to give people a 20-minute segment of, of teaching in their meetings and, and some uh, worksheets for them to work through and applying that teaching to their lives as a, a supplement to their praise and, and worship together. And that takes quite a few people to run that, if you think of sending thousands of these tapes out every month. Uh, it, it requires a lot of people. We have, as still as the main part of, of our work, teams. It's very unusual for me to come anywhere on my own. I've been in a meeting all day long. That's why I'm here on my own this evening. Uh, but uh, we have teams going out leading missions and all kinds of evangelistic work, church renewal, weekends and so on, sometimes several teams out at the same time. We have, uh, we found that some of the people that were coming, being drawn to us by the Lord, were those in really depraved situations. 
people that were born and dedicated to Satan at birth. I can't tell you the terrible things that go on in the lives of people like that. They're taught to hate and to be destructive. They're taught everything that is opposite to the Christian gospel. People that are brought up in child prostitution and that really is the least of their problems. And God began to send us people like this, people that other churches and so on just weren't able to cope with. And we began to see them coming through and God doing a sovereign work of grace and transforming their lives. And it became obvious that that would have to become a ministry in its own right. And, and so the Lord provided for us a farm where people with these very desperate needs could come and meet with the Lord and have their lives uh, transformed because only Jesus can transform lives like that, can't he? That only Jesus can transform any kind of life. Hallelujah. And then we found that a lot of these people being referred to us, uh, once we brought them to the Lord and to a measure of healing, we were saying to the churches that sent them or the people that sent them, well, you can have them back now. And they said, oh, no, we don't want them. We just don't know what to do with people like this because obviously they would continue to need a lot of care and so on. And so we said, well, Lord, what do we do with them? And he said, well, you train them for evangelism and get them on the street so that they can meet with others who have similar needs. And so last year, was it? I don't know. Yes, lose track of time. Last year we uh, bought a, an old cinema that had become a bingo hall in, in Brighton and turn that into an outreach center to the street people there. Brighton is a place where a lot of drug addicts, uh, dropouts of one kind and another congregate. Uh, many of them start in London, then they think it's better to trip out on Brighton Beach than it is in Piccadilly Circus. So they all gravitate down to the south coast. And that's a center now where every week we see these really desperate people that have lost all hope and have got no sense of, of having any purpose in their lives of their meeting with the Lord. It's a very, very demanding ministry. A lot of members of the fellowship uh, had to be released to be involved in that ministry. But we thought, well, if we're really preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel has to be meaningful to everybody. We cannot be proclaiming the gospel in its fullness if it's only relevant to the sort of middle class or the nice people that are around. Who was it who gravitated around Jesus? It was the poor and the needy and the desperate. They recognized their need and they thought, well, here at last is someone who can help us. Here is someone who can save us. They might not have put it in those terms, but that's actually what was going on in their hearts. And even though the religious establishment of the day of Jesus rejected him, it was the common people with all their needs, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the lepers, they were the ones that were drawn to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment in many ways. And so we've, we've seen this ministry and that's growing and developing all the time. And just at the beginning of this year... Uh, we opened a college. Some of you may have heard the story of how God supplied 600,000 pounds without us raising a penny last year, but simply in response to prayer. And how on the very last day that the money was due, God gave 300,000 
pounds. I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't done it, but he just released 300,000 pounds on that last day. And uh, he said that this college was to train people for spirit-filled ministry. Great void. You know, a lot of people being filled with the spirit, feeling called of God to minister, not uh, in the ordained ministry, but in other supplementary ministries. And very few places to be trained. So God laid upon our hearts that that was necessary. Now we have many anointed speakers in the fellowship, uh, ministering at the college, going out with the teams and so on. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? The way that God's caused it to grow. But what I want to say out of all this is simply this. It is God who has done it. Now, always he uses human beings. And we're talking about discipleship tonight. What does it mean to be a disciple? You can look up all the scriptures about discipleship. And some of them are a bit frightening. Jesus says if we're going to be disciples, we've got to leave everyone and everything and even hate our families and... Uh, and in other words, put him first, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. It's, it's an all or nothing thing if you're going to be a disciple. What is a disciple then? A disciple is someone who's made his life available to God. Not just as a, a priest, not just in the ordained ministry, but anybody in any sphere of ministry, that person, man or woman, has said, my life is yours. I want to follow Jesus. But you know, there are a lot of people through the centuries that have said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and they found it impossible to do. Why? Because a disciple is not someone who does something for God but is someone who lets God do something for him. And God can only use him because he allows God to go on giving to him. You see, what can I or you or any Christian give to someone else? The answer to that is only what we have received from the Lord. You can give human concern, human compassion, human love, but anybody can do that. You don't have to be a Christian. But if God has given us something distinctive as a Christian, if he's given us his life, if he's given us his spirit, then that and the fruit of that is what we can give to other people. And that's how Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water flowing out of your innermost being. So the real question, you see, is not whether we've had an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but whether we are full of the Holy Spirit. See, it's no use me coming and ministering here tonight and saying, oh, about 21 years ago, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Goodness, it was that long ago too. Uh, <laughs> on that occasion, God filled me with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that would be no good unless my life was open to God to say, Lord, go on filling me. 
Go on pouring your life. I can't get up and minister in your name to your people unless I'm full. And that's true not only for a preacher, it's true for all of us. Every day in the living out of our Christian lives, God wants us to be full of Jesus. Yes? Some of you don't look very happy about it. I mean, I would have thought to be full of Jesus was the most joyful thing you could imagine. Hmm? Yes? You're allowed to agree with me as much as you like. I always tell people, I don't mind if you disagree with me so long as you don't think you're right. (laughs) Lives full of Jesus. You see, Paul says that we have come to fullness of life in him. We have come to fullness of life. God intends our lives to be full of Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, we don't always feel full. At least I don't, do you? You know, I didn't sort of feel particularly full having been on a meeting all day long. Uh, you know, you sort of feel everything's gradually draining out of you. Uh, it isn't a question of feeling, it's a question of fact. It's a question of reality. Has God given us his fullness? Can we know his fullness of life? Can rivers of living water flow out of us? Are we true disciples of Jesus who can give Jesus to those who live around us, whether at work, in the home, our neighbors, the people we worship with on Sundays? Can we communicate the life of Jesus to them? Because that's what disciples are called to do. Now, I want to share with you what I believe to be the secret of being able to share the life of Jesus. I don't mean that you you try to put on an act and think, oh goodness, I'm going to church, I've got to share Jesus. But you know, if we're full, we can't help but share him. Isn't that right? Somehow, something of Jesus rubs off on someone else. I mean, if there's rivers of living water flowing out of us, others around us are going to get wet. (laughs) They're going to be conscious somehow of the presence of the Lord. They might not know that that's what it is, but they'll say, there's something different. What is it? They might not even say that, but you'll find that when they're in need, it's to you they turn. They Perhaps they don't know why. But they sense that you can help them in a way that others can't. Did you know that there's two gods that are worshipped in the church? Did you know that? There's the one who does nothing and the one who answers prayer. There are a lot of people who worship God on Sundays... They say prayers to God, but they never expect to receive anything. They would almost laugh if you suggested to them that they ought to. Oh, God wouldn't answer my prayers. I mean, fancy me daring to believe that Almighty God would take notice of my little prayers. Hmm? Ever come across that kind of attitude? It's surely there. 
I used to have it. I can remember when I was a teenager and I went off to a, uh, one of these Christian camps and one of the leaders of the camp said to me one day, uh, Colin, do you expect God to answer your prayers? And I said to him, oh no! No, I couldn't expect God to answer my prayers. And then he said, well, why do you pray? And I thought, good point. <laughs> and after all, if you don't expect to receive from God, what is the point of asking? And Jesus tells us to ask, doesn't he? And he says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And somehow, if we've got our focus right, God will do the work around us. You see, all that I shared about the Bethany Fellowship, I am, and of course others have joined in leadership during those past years, we as a leadership never set out to build what has happened. God has done it. Just leading us step by step as he's created the life and the ministry around us. That's the work that he does if only we're prepared to what? To be open to what he wants to give to us. Now, what's this secret of discipleship? I'm not saying it's the only secret, but I believe it's one of the fundamental ones that is often missed by people. Because when people say, oh, I've got to be a disciple, they think, oh, I've got to work for Jesus. I've got to do something for God. And so they start to say, Lord, use me. Hmm? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're not at a different meeting from me, are you? Now, what do you think you can do for God that he couldn't do better himself? <laughs> I mean, if God wanted someone to do something for him, why should he choose you? <laughs> no, the truth is, you see, not that God wants us to say, right, Lord, you can only work six days a week. You have to rest on the seventh. So you have a rest today and I'll do it for you. <laughs> no, what Jesus made clear is that God wants to work in us and through us. It's not us for God, but God in us. Right? That's why Paul said the secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything about the Christian life is the work of Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? So, what does God require of us? Cooperation. 
Because, you see, we can receive from God and yet not cooperate. And if we don't cooperate, then what we've received doesn't pass through us. I can remember once, many years ago, preaching a sermon which began, Are you a bucket or a hosepipe? And you see, some of us, I think, want to be filled like buckets. We come and say, Lord, here's my bucket, fill me. I've got a hole in and it keeps dripping out and I need to be filled again. But you see, God wants us to be much more like hose pipes. We've got one end attached to heaven and we're just spraying the blessings all around us with the other end. Can you see that? The life of Jesus is passing through us. I haven't got anything to give to anyone unless God first gives it to me. Can you see? Ah, now there's the rub. God giving to us. You ever come across the person that says, Well, God might do it for him. God might give it to her. But God wouldn't do it for me. Hmm? Do you mean there's some of you here tonight? (laughs) Well, well, well. The Lord sorted you out tonight, didn't he? Isn't it extraordinary? There are some who say, Oh, I'm just a mere nobody. I mean, God wouldn't want to bother with me. I'm just a spiritual failure. I never get it right. Any of those here tonight? Does anybody here ever feel weak? Anybody ever feel foolish? Well, you qualify. Paul tells us that God has chosen the weak and foolish to confound the wisdom of the wise. If you know you're weak and foolish, one thing is certain, you're called of God. Now, I'm being serious. It's the ones who don't know they're weak and foolish that aren't called of God. Those that really think they're something. Those that are really trying to project some image of themselves to encourage others to think that they're someone. When you know you're weak and foolish, there is the secret of your strength. Because you know you can't do it. I mean, even the simple things you can't do. You have to depend upon Jesus. And so that's the way we learn to trust him, isn't it? Have you learned to thank God for your failures? I thank God for my failures because every time he lets me fail, he's demonstrating to me 
that's an area where I don't yet trust him. Hmm? If only I depended upon him more, I wouldn't have fallen flat on my spiritual face. And I find that, you know, just when I think I'm getting somewhere, boom! He wants to stop the pride getting in, doesn't he? I just show now, now, don't you think you're getting anywhere. You're only getting anywhere by trusting me. It's not you, it's Christ in you. Hallelujah. So, let's get round to this secret, shall we? We haven't got there yet, have we? Now, of course, God has given us the Scriptures. Why? Because the Scriptures tell us the secrets of God. Isn't that wonderful? You see, most people don't know God, do they? Hmm? Paul says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot believe. They're blind. They're spiritually blind. They cannot understand the secrets of God. But God wants to reveal himself. He's a God of revelation. That means that he reveals, he uncovers, he demonstrates, he shows himself. And God has given the the word of God and the spirit that the spirit may take the word and reveal the secrets of God to us. That's why we need to, to be studying and reading the scriptures every day. There are spiritual food every day. You need to be reading the word of God just as much as you need to be eating physical food. In fact, if any of you ladies are interested, one of the best ways of slimming is to read the Word of God. When you get satisfied with spiritual food, you don't need so much of the physical food. Hallelujah. (laughs) That's not the secret. That's just a little extra that you've got, a little bonus. Discipline always also plays a part, and a disciple is a disciplined person. But anyway, we're not going to get on to slimming tonight. Uh, the Word of God unfolds secrets about God. And, oh, they're manifold. We're only going to talk about one tonight. Now, John the Apostle, Great man of God, loved Jesus, chosen to be the disciple whom Jesus loved, was with Jesus throughout his ministry, stood at the foot of the cross, and was told to take his mother into his home. He heard the teaching of Jesus, the great promises of Jesus. He witnessed the miracles of Jesus. And about 50 years or so, perhaps 40, 50 years, 
after that time of ministry. John wrote what we know as the Gospel of John. It's different from the other Gospels as we know. And he opens it with an introduction about the Word of God. All of us would be familiar with that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he talks about Jesus being the light that comes into the world. But the darkness of the world didn't want to receive the light. And then he makes this statement in verse 16 of chapter 1 of John. From the fullness of his grace have we received one blessing after another. Now, in those opening verses, there are lots of great statements. You could spend a whole evening, a whole week, talking about one verse after another. But there, in the middle of all that, is this great statement. It's almost as a climax of what he's saying. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. There's the secret of discipleship, of relationship with Jesus. The disciple is one who receives one blessing after another. You see what John was saying, and listen. John didn't have a cozy life. He knew it was to be rejected, ridiculed, persecuted, imprisoned for the faith. And yet what was his testimony? One blessing after another. He didn't say, I'm just one of those no good spiritual failures. No, you see, his concentration wasn't upon himself, but upon the Lord and what the Lord was doing in his life. One blessing after another. You know, when we don't receive from God, it's because we're centered upon ourselves and not upon Him. And because we've got some very funny ideas. Let me give you an example. Supposing I was to call one of you out the front here now and give you a hundred pounds. I said supposing, mind you. (laughs) Now, I'm making a gift and I say, there you are, there is a hundred pounds, it's a gift from me to you. Wouldn't it be absurd for you to turn round to me and say, what do I have to do to earn it? I'd say, what are you talking about? I've given it to you. Yes, but what do I have to do to earn it? 
I think you were a bit, you know, needing some of the healing somewhere. But isn't that how often we approach God? We think somehow we've got to earn his favor, earn his gifts. Oh, he wouldn't give to me because I've sinned. He wouldn't give to me because I'm a failure. He wouldn't give to me because I don't have enough faith. Hmm? Are you hearing? Listen. If God waited till anyone in this building tonight deserved to receive anything from him, he'd have to wait for all eternity. (laughs) There's not one of us in this building that ever deserves a thing from God. But he is the God of grace. Ever heard of it? Charis in Greek? Grace. What's grace? Grace is God giving everything, everything, Mark. God giving everything, not just a hundred pounds, but God giving everything that he's got in heaven to give. God giving everything to those who deserve nothing. Isn't that that's the best news I've ever heard in all my life? <clears throat> because I was one of those people that grew up with a, uh, an elephant-sized inferiority complex. You know what I mean? You think that nobody ever wants to know you, and everybody's laughing about you, and, and nobody would want to give you anything. Any of you ever been like that? Yeah. yeah. And then there comes the wonderful realization that God loves you. Eh? He doesn't love you as the perfect being that he wants to make you, but he even accepts you as you are. But not to leave you as you are, but to change you from one degree of glory to another into his likeness. Incredible, isn't it? One day we're all going to be like Jesus. Isn't that incredible? When we see him face to face, we shall be like him, the scripture says. Ooh, can't wait, can you? Just as well we shall be changed with the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. <laughs> it's amazing. You see, we deserve nothing, but he's the God who gives everything. Paul says it in this way, that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every blessing in heaven, God has blessed us with in Christ. Wonderful? Yes. Not that he will bless us, he has blessed us. Why? He's the God of grace. What does that mean? He says... It means, he says this, if you're my child, I don't withhold anything from you. Mm -hmm. Nothing, Lord, nothing. It's all mine, it's all yours. 
wow. So why don't we receive more of it then? Hmm? Because we don't believe the Lord's love and graciousness towards us. We look at his love through a telescope the wrong way. You know, it's all there, but it's tiny. And when we, when we read in Scripture and when we sing those songs about magnifying the Lord, you know what praise does? It turns the telescope round. And we begin to see the bigness of God and the bigness of His love and the bigness of His grace. He's the God who deals with failures. See, God summed his message up to us tonight in that little prophetic picture we had of the cross with the word love on it. A disciple is someone who realizes the message of the cross in his heart. That Jesus, the Son of God, died on that cross for you, personally for you. Only last night somebody was saying to me, I can understand Christ dying for everybody, but I cannot understand Christ dying for me. I said, well, what the cross means is this. But as Jesus hung there, he was saying, I do this for you, Elizabeth. I do this for you, Mary. I do this for you, George. I do this for you, Harry. That's how personal it is. That he took sinners to the cross. Why? To make us acceptable to his Father. See, he took upon himself all the failure, all the fear, all the frustration, all the sickness, all the sin, all the sorry mess of our lives. And he said, now, Father, I offer my holy blood on behalf of their unholiness. I offer my perfect life on behalf of all their imperfections, my sinlessness on behalf of their sin. Can you see that? It's that blood that makes a person acceptable to God. Until we're washed and cleansed with that blood, we're unacceptable in God's sight. But when we're cleansed with that blood, God doesn't look upon the fear and the failure and the frustration and the sin. He sees the blood of Jesus cleansing us. Isn't that wonderful? So you see, it doesn't matter what kind of a mess you're in. It doesn't matter how you feel, 
what kind of a sorry failure you consider yourself to be if only you come to Jesus. If only you come to the cross. If only you come and say, Lord, as you gave your life to me, now I surrender my life to you. Cleanse me with your precious blood. Then at that moment, all that sin and darkness and failure falls away from us. And God the Father says, you're mine. You're my child. I give you my kingdom. I give you my love. I give you my spirit. I give you eternal life. Not I will in the future. I give it to you right here and now. That's what Jesus says. You receive eternal life now. And if you don't receive it now, you never will. God's kingdom is a gift to you now. That's what Jesus said. Fear not, little flock. Your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? To no good, miserable sinners like us, God cleanses us and says, now I can give you everything. Any of you receive the Holy Spirit here? Yes? God is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is God. Yes? If God has given you the Holy Spirit, God has given you Himself. God has come to dwell within you. You are a presence. You are a temple of the presence of God. Yes. Do you think God would give Himself to someone He hadn't accepted? Do you? then why are there so many people here tonight that still don't think they're acceptable to God? Why are there so many who listen to the lies of Satan? Oh, listen, Satan is the father of lies, isn't he? That's how Jesus describes him. But you know, he doesn't announce himself. He doesn't sort of come knocking on your door this is Satan about to speak to you. <laughs> now, what he does is he tries to sow those negative doubts and fears into your mind. Shall I give you a few examples? Now, this is Satan speaking. And, of course, you know, his ace trick is to think, is to get you to think that it's you and not him. Hmm? You'll see what I mean. You see, Satan's the one who, who comes and just whispers into your mind, you're a failure. You can't do it. God won't. You don't have enough faith. You're unworthy. Have you ever heard him?
You see, he is the accuser of the brethren. God never accuses us. Jesus stands at the right hand of God to answer on our behalf every time Satan accuses us. Why are we foolish enough to listen to those accusations of the enemy? They're all lies. He encourages those negative feelings. Unworthy? What am I going to say if Satan says to me, Colin, you're unworthy? I say, yes, you're right, but I'm made worthy by the blood of Jesus. Now get lost. Because that's the truth. If he says God won't answer, I say, yeah, he won't if I listen to you, but I listen to Jesus. And Jesus says if I ask anything in his name, he will do it. Who are you listening to? Jesus or the enemy? Do you get the idea? But you know, it's a running battle that goes on inside you. You have to rebuke those negative thoughts as soon as they come. You agree with one negative and Satan will be there with another and then another and then another and then another. And before you know where you are, you can't be positive. And that's when you end up saying, I've got no faith. That's nonsense. Of course you've got faith. You're a believer, aren't you? You haven't seen Jesus in the physical flesh and yet you believe him. I hear sometimes people say, oh, I'm just a doubting Thomas. Nonsense! Thomas wouldn't believe unless he could put his hand into the nail prints of Jesus. But you haven't put your hand into the nail prints of Jesus, have you? Yet you believe in him. Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who believe though they have not seen. You believe though you have not seen. So according to Jesus, you're a blessed one. Got it? Hallelujah! Who are you believing? Jesus. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know their need of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. From the fullness of his grace, we receive one blessing after another. And you know when the life and the vitality and the power of God's Spirit dries up in our own lives and and in us corporately, it's when we stop believing that God wants to give. You know in the early days of the charismatic renewal, everybody believed in miracles as far as I could see. And then there came a time where people began to say, we're consolidating. (laughs) I don't quite know what, but... (laughs) And you know, the, the miracles began to come less obvious. And so people said, we're being deepened. As if you can't have a deep miracle. Can you see how we excuse ourselves? 
God wants us to believe in his love, doesn't he? How often do we say God is love? What is the love of God? What is the agape love of God? God so loved the world that he gave. Gave what? His son. He gave Jesus. And the scriptures show us that when he gave Jesus, he took our sin, he took our fear, he took our grief, he took our sorrow, he took our pains, he took our sicknesses and infirmities, he took the whole lot. Why? Because God wants to give us his wholeness. We shouldn't be surprised when sickness attacks us. Because physically we're not perfect, just as morally we're not perfect and spiritually we're not perfect. God is working in us to bring us to his perfection. So we shouldn't be surprised when these things beset us. But what we all need to understand is that God wants to give to us in the middle of it all. And that the message that we have to proclaim to the world is that our God is their God and our God is a giving God. He is the only God. And you see, that's what marks our God off from all the the pagan gods that don't exist, that are worshipped in so many other ways. Because the other great religions of the world don't believe that God gives in this life. But Jesus came to reveal that he's the God of grace. And from the fullness of his grace, we receive one blessing after another. Hallelujah. You ready to do some receiving tonight? But listen, God's receiving does not depend upon meetings like this. We can come together and receive. Why? Because we can encourage one another in our faith, can't we? You find that the sort of corporate level of faith at a meeting can rise because... God doesn't want us just to try to exist on our own independent faith. He wants us all to have personal faith. But we're encouraged by being part of the household of faith. That's what the church is. The household of faith. One of the ways in which the scriptures describe the church. But every day of our lives, every day when you wake up in the morning, you wake up to a day of God's grace. You can be sure that tomorrow you won't deserve anything from God, but you can be equally sure he'll want to give to you. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So we are going to look to God to give. To some, I believe, he wants to give tonight an assurance that they are accepted. To others, the gift of the Spirit. To others, a word of faith, of encouragement, of direction. To others, a healing. 
Maybe emotional healing, healing of relationship, physical healing. Any kind of healing. Because God's concerned with every aspect of our lives. Just before we pray, let me remind you of one last thing. God knows everything about you. Isn't that right? And one of the things that's very, perhaps surprising at first, is the completely non-consequential things that God knows. Totally irrelevant and non-important. You see, Jesus says that the Father knows how many hairs are on your head. Now, why should he want to know how many hairs are on your head? I mean, what could be important about how many hairs are on your head? He has to do a daily tally with mine because I lose some every day. (laughs) But he gets the score right every evening. Why should Jesus say that the Father knows how many hairs you've got? Because if God is concerned about totally unimportant things like that, Don't you think he's concerned about the important things? If he knows how many hairs are on your head tonight, don't you think he knows about all the needs that you have in your life? Hmm? Don't you think he's aware of them? And if he knows, if he's so concerned about you that he could actually tell you how many hairs or lack of them, are on some of our heads tonight, don't you think that he is wanting to release his life into those needy areas of your life? Why? Just to bless us? No! But because we've got a revelation to give to the world. Our God is the giving God. He is the God of love. And we know And when you're moving in the blessing of God, oh, how you can share with others what a great blessing God He is. Amen? Let's stand. Just take, just take your songbook and turn to number 66. Amazing Grace. We're just going to sing that before we let the Lord minister to us. Hallelujah.
let's quietly be seated as we pray. Now just close your eyes because you're in the presence of Jesus. He says when any two or three gather together in his name, he's there among them. He's here. Hallelujah. Welcome, Jesus. Oh, praise you, Lord, for your presence. Now talk to him. Talk to him from your heart. Not aloud, but just quietly. He can hear your heart. He knows every thought, desire, intention, and motive. He's concerned about every part of your being. What are you going to say to Jesus? I want to say sorry to him, don't you? Jesus, I'm sorry that there are times I haven't trusted you. Jesus, I'm sorry that there are times when I haven't believed your grace for me. I've struggled in my own strength instead of in yours. Please forgive me. Jesus, I'm sorry that there have been times when I felt I've got to put up with something rather than believe you to deal with it. Please forgive me. Jesus, forgive me when I've looked at myself and my own unworthiness and I haven't believed your grace to make me worthy to receive from your Father. Forgive me for the times I've listened to the voice of the enemy, to the lies and the accusations and the condemning thoughts. Forgive me, Lord, when I've looked at circumstances instead of at you. And I've believed symptoms instead of your healing. When I've expected a battle instead of victory. Forgive my sin, Lord Jesus. When I've wanted my way and not your way. Forgive me when I thought my sin doesn't really matter because you'd forgive it anyway. You add your own things to those. Scripture says that when we confess our sins, God is so faithful and just that he forgives them and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So you share your heart with Jesus now so he's cleansing your heart.
Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. I believe the Lord is saying that some of us need to repent of believing that suffering for its own sake is good. God calls us to suffer for the gospel, but he doesn't call us to suffer sickness as an end in itself. We need to repent of such attitudes. When he in scripture is called the Lord our healer. And when he took all our sickness to the cross. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, dear Jesus, our Lord and Savior, forgive us for all the ways in which we've doubted your work of grace. We come to your cross afresh tonight. And we say, Lord, have mercy on us. I believe God is wanting us to give ourselves to him, some perhaps for the first time, but all of us afresh. Because we can only receive those gifts of his grace in as much as we are prepared to yield to God, to give to God. Because Jesus said, the measure you give is the measure you get back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's not a stingy God. He always gives more than enough. That good measure running over, abundance. He's the God of abundance. Right? But he waits until we give first. Some of you have worshipped for a long time. I believe there are some who never worship. You've just been brought with friends. You don't attend any place of worship. You've never given, several never given their lives to Jesus. You've never said, my life now belongs to you. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to, I don't want to live for my own ends. I want your purpose, your will in my life. You've never said, take my life, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, give me a new life. I want you to come and live in me by the Holy Spirit. I believe God's saying that some of you have only ever made a token giving of yourself. And God's calling you to a more wholehearted giving than you've known before. Just as everybody's praying, as a, just as a, as a token, as a sign that you really mean business with God, if you're giving your life to him now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you tonight. I give myself as wholeheartedly as I can. I don't want these to be mere words. 
but a true expression of my heart. I want Christ to live in me. I want him to work through me. I want to receive the abundance of your grace. And thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that you've accepted me. Praise you, Heavenly Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, we do thank you, Lord Jesus, for all the gifts and the graces that you pour into our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you're just working in hearts all over this building at this moment. I'm going to ask, just keep in prayer with your eyes closed for a moment. If you believe that you've come to a new place of giving to God, perhaps giving to yourself to Him for the first time, perhaps surrendering yourself in a deeper way than before, just raise one of your hands above your head, would you? Because I want to pray for you right now. If that's what's gone on in your life tonight, never mind others around you, you know if God's done such a work in your heart tonight. Just raise your hand if He has. Father, I just thank you for these hands that are raised. I pray for every one of these, my brothers and sisters now. I pray, Lord, that you will meet with them in a sovereign way. That from this moment, they will know that their lives cannot be the same as they were before they came here tonight. That you have done a sovereign work in their hearts. That you have renewed and revived their hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for every one of them. That you would indeed use them for your glory. And that you would minister the life of Jesus through them to others who they know. And this I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just blow your hands. Praise God. We're going to pray now for the Holy Spirit. We sang earlier. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh in me. Are you full? That's the question, Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, isn't he? Now, are you full? If you know you're not full and you want to be full, just stand up where you are now. I'm sure those of you who raised your hands will want to stand, but others perhaps too. If you, if you want to look to God to fill you tonight, don't stand if that's not your need or if that's not the desire of your heart. But if you know what it is, now listen to the words of Jesus. Ask and you will receive. Everyone who asks receives. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right? He wants to give. He's the God of grace. You don't deserve his Spirit, but he wants to give to you. He's forgiven you. There's no good reason, therefore, why you shouldn't receive right now. So ask from your heart. Just pray now and say, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. If there's some particular gift of the Spirit, whether it's a gift of tongues or whatever gift it is that you need, ask God for that gift now. Right, now you've done your asking, so stop asking. It doesn't take you all night to ask for the Holy Spirit. 
Now you're going to receive. Now when Jesus prayed, this is what he did. He lifted his eyes to heaven. Now just lift up your head, look up. You can have your eyes closed or open, that doesn't matter. But just be expectant. And Jesus, when he prayed, would have opened his arms like this. That was the way Jesus would always have prayed to his Father. Now, it's a good way to pray because it's like opening our arms to receive from God. It's not a bit of law. You don't have to do it, but I suggest you do it. Just to encourage you to receive. Now, I'm going to pray, and I want all those of you who are sitting, you just to be praying with me, praying for those who are standing, believing God the Holy Spirit to come and fill them tonight, right? And yeah, he can touch you as well. Why not? But as we pray, those of you who are standing, you, you're just receiving now. You're not asking. You've done your asking. Your job is to receive. We'll, do, we'll ask for you and you receive, right? Father in heaven, in the precious name of Jesus, we ask you now to pour out your Holy Spirit upon every one of us in this building that asks. Lord, we open our hearts, we open our arms, we look up to you tonight to receive from you. Now, pour into our hearts the fullness of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Now, just receive, because God's doing it. He said, everyone who asks receives. Now, it's happening. Don't stand and say, I don't feel anything yet. You won't feel anything till you believe you're receiving. Now, the love of God is coming into your heart. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. Right? He's just filling you. Now, just imagine yourself to be an empty glass and God's filling you. He's putting love into you now. He's filling you with the living water of the Spirit. He's filling your heart with love. You're going to be able to love in a way that you couldn't love before because of what God is doing to you right now. Now, as you believe that, thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you fill me with your love. Now, he's filling you with joy. Some of you have been very sad people. Some of you have been full of grief, full of sorrow of all different kinds. God's filling you with his joy, right? He's just filling you with his joy. Thank the Lord for his joy, the joy of his spirit. The peace of God is coming upon you, right? He's filling you with peace. Isn't he a wonderful Lord? He senses peace. There's been a lot of anxiety and tension in some of you. And now, somehow, deep within you, that peace that passes understanding is filling your heart and mind the love of God. Hallelujah. He's doing it. Now Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're receiving power. Power to live as a child of God. Oh, wonderful, isn't it? Power to live as a son of God. Wonderful. The power of the Holy Spirit. That even though you are weak, his power is in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. May this love and joy and peace and power be released through us. Lord, we don't want to simply be those buckets. We want to be those hose pipes. 
But as we receive from you, we want to be able to give you and express your life in our lives. Praise your holy name. Let's all stand. Let's all stand now. Because God, God wants us all to receive. If you're able to stand, don't worry if you're not. Don't, just be relaxed. That's the important. The way to receive from God is to be quite relaxed about it. Not all tense. Oh, somebody's saying, I haven't received anything. You're listening to that liar again, aren't you? It's Satan. He says, you haven't received. You say, oh yes I have. Because I walk by faith, not by sight. Hallelujah. That's right. You begin to believe and you'll see that all these things are true for you. Hallelujah. Now God wants to pour healing into our lives. If you have a particular need where you know you need healing, just lay it before Jesus now. Right? He's the God of grace. You don't deserve. It's not, oh Lord, I deserve it. No, it's Lord, have mercy on me and heal me. Hmm? I come to you, Lord, humbly, but I come knowing that you're the God of compassion. Remember what the scripture said? He had compassion upon the sick and healed them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to, you see, because God doesn't give us his gifts for ourselves, but to minister to others, we're going to minister to one another. Reach out and take hold of the hands of those either side of you. Come across the aisle, shuffle along a bit. That's right. Shuffle on because we're one body. Isn't it wonderful that we don't know what churches and traditions we've come from? We're all one body. Hallelujah. How the Lord loves unity. You know, he's only got one church. Hallelujah. He's only got one. And Jesus is the head of it. And we are members of his body. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your body. Thank you for all the brothers and sisters that surround us with love and prayer this evening. Thank you for all that you're pouring into our lives by the Holy Spirit. Sovereign Lord, we pray that your Spirit will move in healing power amongst us now. We want you to glorify yourself here, Lord. We want you to demonstrate that you're the God of grace. You know, somebody's already being healed of a long-standing back problem. I believe there's somebody up in the gallery. There's a woman up there. You've been standing oh, for such a long time and you've had back pro- Look, God's healed your back tonight already. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, that's only a start. He's got a lot more to do yet. Oh, you're ready for God to move and touch your life? Don't stand there and saying He won't do it for me. He's the God of grace, right? That means He loves you despite what you are. He loves you. And because you've given your life to Him, He's accepted you. Wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it, wonder- isn't it good news? It's good news. Praise you, Jesus. Nothing is impossible for our God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke every sickness and disease in this place. Oh, we rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. We tell you that that you have no right to afflict our lives with pain and sickness and disease. We bind every spirit of infirmity and sickness that afflicts the life of any person present, every unclean spirit, every, every evil spirit that in any way tries to manifest itself in our lives. And we command that you release every person present immediately in the name of Jesus. You're just a get lost. You have no part and no place here or in the lives of any one of us in the name of Jesus. 
And oh, Father, we thank you for your victory. We praise you, Lord, that when you died on that cross, you defeated all the powers of darkness, every power of the enemy. Thank you that everything is beneath your feet, Lord, and that we live and reign in you and in your victory tonight. Praise your wonderful name. Just release the healing power of your spirit amongst us now, we pray. Move, Lord, by your sovereign power, right the way through this body. Touch one life after another with your healing power. Hallelujah. Just start to pray for those either side of you, those whose hands you're holding. Pray to Jesus. He's the one. Just to Jesus. Nobody else but Jesus. It's Jesus who is our healer right now. It's the holy name of Jesus. That's what the disciples said when they healed the beggar. It's by the name of Jesus that this healing has happened. It's for the glory of the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we would uplift the name of Jesus here tonight. Jesus, our healer. Hallelujah. Praise your wonderful and holy name. Oh, God will begin to give me words of knowledge of things that are happening. Just receive the word with faith. There's women receiving healing of their womb. There's someone with, oh, a, a kind of, of uh, I don't know, a sort of cystic of fibrosis that God is, is, is healing right now. There's, there's, there's healing of, 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 of an ovarian cyst that is happening right now. Oh, God is touching glands right now. Somebody with a, a serious thyroid problem. Somebody with a serious throat condition is being healed. Oh, there's nasal catarrh, congestion, hay fever, all that kind of thing. God's clearing. Somebody with partial hearing, God's opening that ear right now. God's touching arthritic limbs. He's healing backs. He's touching bones. He's releasing joints right now. Don't say, oh, that must be for somebody else. If it's your condition, receive that word with faith. Believe God to be touching your life right now. There's someone with a, a serious condition that affects the, the nervous column in the spine. And God's just releasing his healing power right there now. Oh, there's somebody that's been to so many doctors. You've been told that your condition is incurable. And yet you know, you know, you know that God is touching your life now. It's not a bit of wishful thinking. You can actually feel the power of God just passing through your body. Many of you, it's as if a great fire is just passing through your body now. It's as if someone's laying his hand upon your head. And the power of God is, it, the feelings aren't, aren't the important thing. It's what God's doing that's important. Hallelujah. Somebody with a skin condition that's being healed. Somebody with a serious eczema being healed right now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody was encouraged by, by Benedict's testimony of his cartilage, and your cartilage is being healed tonight. Oh, wonderful, Lord. Oh, there's somebody with a, with, with a, a bad ankle, someone else with a bad foot. God's just touching those right now. Somebody with a hernia, somebody else with ulcer. Oh, somebody with a heart condition. Oh, thank you. Somebody even with a wasted limb, that God is just touching that. He's restoring strength and health to that limb tonight. Praise God. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Somebody with a scalp condition. When we are mentioning the hairs of the head, you were saying, Oh, Lord, do something about my scalp. And right now, God is touching your scalp with his healing power. Isn't he a mighty God? Oh, thank you. That shoulder. Oh, somebody's been saying, oh, Lord, let him mention shoulder. Well, you know, God doesn't have to speak through me. He can speak straight to your heart a word of healing. Well, that shoulder is healed right now. Somebody with a hardening of the arteries. God is healing you. There's no medical thing for that, is there? 
Oh, somebody that's had an addiction to sleeping tablets, God is setting you free from that. Somebody was encouraged by that testimony of smoking. Now listen very carefully. Jesus is prepared to release you right now from that. And I pray that if you touch another cigarette, it'll make you sick. But let me warn you of something. If Jesus ever delivers you from smoking, never go back to it. You'll find he'll never let you off so lightly the second time. Right?